Welcome to St. James Lutheran Church, Chicago. I hope and pray that in the following message, you will find hope and peace in what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. If you'd like to support his amazing mission going on right now in Chicago through St. James, please go to our website, stjames-lutheran.org to find out more. Peace. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Anybody know that carol? That's one of my favorite carols. I don't know why we need that. There's a lot of great carols we don't have in our little repertoire here, like the first Noel, like that's the greatest song ever. Can we do that, Megan? Can you bring that one out? Anyhow, it's not, it's not, it's my fault. This is a great song. Johnny Cash has a great version of it. Casting Crowns or whatever their name is has not a bad, has a nice version of it too. But you know who wrote this originally? Longfellow, right? Classic poets you should be learning in school, grammar school or high school, American poet. And he writes this great song, starts out super, the bells on Christmas Day, the peace on earth, great rhyming and great tune, happy. But then he gets to a part where he says, In despair I bowed my head, there is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Didn't, uh, you know, kind of took a little turn for the worse there. What happened? And what happened? 1863, he writes this. What was going on in 1863 in America? The Civil, the Civil War was happening. He had lost his wife of 18 years in an accidental fire. Uh, his son was too young, but joined the Union Army against his wishes. He was like, you know, wait or whatever. He ran away from home to join. Next thing you know, he finds out that his son Charles has been shot and is severely injured. So he goes and visits. I mean, his whole life is just thrown apart. And it's Christmas Day when he arrives. And there's this young boy barely surviving. Or he lost his wife. And there's a war ravaging on. Right or wrong or whoever side, death is ugly. You can throw all that sort of stuff in there. And he's trying to write a Christmas song about bells and peace on earth. And you can tell with this one line, <laughs> he wasn't so sure about the success of Christmas and the peace on earth that the angels talk about. You guys feel like that at all ever? Merry Christmas, decorating your tree, but you're not quite feeling it. And it might be something you've done. Maybe you've done something and pushed somebody away and you've ruined a relationship. And you're not going to see them this Christmas because they're mad at you. And they should be. Or maybe something's been done to you. And you lost a friend. Or maybe there's going to be an empty seat at that table. Because so-and-so has COVID and they're in the hospital. Or so-and-so is with the Lord. You say the right words and you sing these carols and how great Christmas is peace on earth and the angels come and you hear the story little baby Jesus everything's going to be okay 
But sometimes we sound a little bit like Longfellow here, right? There's no peace on earth. Hate is strong. The world's messed up. Christmas really stinks this year. I'm not sure this whole Christmas thing works. I wonder if John the baptizer thought that. That's the guy, the same guy last week we heard talk about how awesome God is and God is coming. Clean up your house, right? The reign of God is happening. And sure enough, Jesus came. A little shocking when Jesus came just as a, he just looked normal, didn't look anything exciting, and he was baptized with all the others. John was a little shocked. But okay, I think he kind of like, all right, let's see what this Jesus Savior is going to do. And then he hears about this in chapter 7. Jesus had just raised the dead. He, it's a beautiful story, by the way, chapter 7 of Luke. This widow, like Longfellow, is saying goodbye to a son, and they're carrying his, uh, they're carrying his, gray, his, his uh, casket, basically, in a morning march you know, to the cemetery, if you will. Jesus just happens upon it and stops the procession, which is not polite, and then tells the kid to rise up. (laughs) And he gets up, and he returns the boy to his mom and reunites the family, let alone raises the dead. It's a beautiful story. Apparently, his disciples went and told these things to John, because John the Baptist still had his disciples and Jesus was doing his thing. And that's a pretty cool story. But where was John when he heard this story? Do you know? He was in prison. The great, second greatest person in the history of the world, Jesus says himself. The one who was sent to tell them that God was coming. Love's going to win. It's going to be okay. All these things. He's in prison. Because he told Herod, what's up? Actually, told Herod about the right and wrong ways of marriage, interestingly. And he gets thrown in prison. And what happens to John eventually? He's beheaded. But he's sitting there in prison, and it's cold, and it's damp. And he's hearing about maybe Jesus doing this, but he's in prison. This seems a little odd, right? And so uh, Luke says, he calls two of his disciples to him, and he sends them to Jesus saying, he he said, you need to say this, are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Now that's been a puzzle to theologians for millennia. Because the question is, there's no way John the Baptist... The great hero, the faith, there's no way he didn't believe in Jesus, right? I mean, he didn't doubt. And so you'll read all kinds of, you know, wranglings and logical and grammatical work to make John look like someone who definitely wasn't doubting. Maybe this was a test question. Maybe he was asking this for them. I know that this is the one, but I think my disciples need to hear that. You know what I mean? All kinds of... uh, uh, 
verbal gymnastics to make John look like this strong believer. But man, when you look at these words, it is very clear. Jesus, uh, John wants to know, are you the one, Jesus, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you saying, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? Can you relate to John? You're supposed to be in charge, Jesus. You're supposed to be the savior, Jesus. You're supposed to be the king. God has come into the world. I'm in prison. And it doesn't look good for me. You're doing all those great things out there. What about me? Who can relate to John this Christmas time? There's a little danger in that. That's not the point of the sermon, but sometimes we think everybody else is happy and we're the only ones that aren't. Or everybody else's marriage is perfect, but ours isn't. Or everybody else is just happy with God and a strong believer, but I'm not. You feel weird? That's a lie. Everybody's not happy. No, I'm joking. Uh, but a lot of people aren't. <laughs> a lot of people are got a smile on. They're doing what they're supposed to do, but their life isn't going well. Remember that. Let's get back to John, though. He's frustrated because maybe he's on the wrong team. Maybe he picked the wrong horse in the race because he's in prison. And you know what that feels like as you look toward your Christmas this year and there's a still a pandemic and it's broken a couple things in your life and you're getting tired because it's going on two years. Even though the Civil War lasted longer, World War I, World War II, good Lord, let's stop being wusses. But it gets tiring. Or maybe yet your own personal trauma, again, of a broken relationship, of not having mom at the table this year. And it doesn't feel like Christmas, and it doesn't feel like Jesus is reigning. Brothers and sisters in Christ, that's okay. If John can confess that, quite frankly, asking God, are you really in charge? Are you the one? You can too. I really believe you can. Read the Psalms. David does it. When you pray, you don't need to lie to God. You can be honest. Are you the one, God? Because I'm not feeling it. It's okay to say that to God. To yell to scream, to be angry with God because he is your father in heaven. Imagine Jesus hears this from John the Baptist and he doesn't cast John out or the disciples, does he? Look what he does. So they ask the question, are you the one to come or should we look for another And in that hour, Luke says, he healed many people of diseases, plagues, and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered them and he said, you go tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor and the nobodies and the broken down and the sinners have good news preached to them. Because only bad people get good news. Only sinners get forgiveness. 
and blessed is the one who's not offended by me. Why does Jesus say this? All those things he listed, they're not arbitrary things. Jesus' job was not to come and personally heal every single person from their ailment. In fact, the people that he gave sight to the blind and caused the lame to walk, do you think they ever had a problem after that? They're all dead. The point of Jesus' miracles was not to fix the world because it doesn't work like that. We've been trying that technology, miracles, you can fix superficially the world all you want, it'll just break again. This is the 21st century, 200 years of democracy, putting men to the moon, and we can't get along, and there's still wars and rumors of wars, and we screw, still screw up our marriage and use technology to evil. Come on. It can't be fixed, and miracles themselves, like what Jesus is doing, wasn't going to fix permanently anything. So why does Jesus mention them? Because these were the signs of the Messiah that John should know full well, because he was doubting. And Jesus wants him to know, you know what Isaiah talked about? Zechariah that Nick just read earlier, he talks about those things, doesn't he? The day will come when the blind will see, the deaf will hear, the lame will walk, and the dead will be raised. Jesus was doing those things to show that he is the one who reversed the curse and saved humanity. But it wasn't going to happen like John might have thought it was supposed to happen. Because it was going to take a lot more than fixing a couple things in the house. The car is busted and broken. These people are not just hurting, they're dead. We are not just kind of sinners. We are dead in sin So John tell, Jesus says, go back and tell them these things. In other words, quite frankly, keep holding on, John. I am the guy. Doesn't feel like it all the time. And then, you know what? I think we need to be reminded of that as well, don't we? He is the one. I know everything in your world is not fixed right now. You're still struggling with your sin. And you're still afraid of death. And you still lost some friends. But he is the one. That's the point of church service. Is to keep reminding you he's the one. But I got better news than what Jesus just listed. Because this is nothing. Jesus, after speaking these words, after telling those disciples, they go back and they tell John the Baptist, you just keep on holding on. It's going to be okay, doggone it. Jesus promises. Doesn't look like it. I know. John ends up losing his head, by the way, dying in faith. A year later, the same Jesus does something far more amazing, more miraculous, more loving, and more life-changing, earth-shattering than heal a couple people or send some guy to the moon. But this same Jesus takes up a cross. Yours, mine, John's. This to me is just far more a miracle than raising somebody from the dead. 
God, who's pure and true, loves you so much that he'll actually be you and take your sins and be and take your place and receive that punishment so that you don't have to. And on that cross, Jesus really fixed things, not superficially, but internally. Why do we suffer? Because we're sinners. Not because God arbitrarily is just causing you to suffer. We suffer because we are sinners. And in the cross, Jesus removed that. You are forgiven. It's paid for. God does not hold your past against you. Don't worry about it. It's gone. This is so, so important. And God, unlike us, forgets it. He doesn't even know what you're talking about. You go to heaven and you say, man, I can't believe you forgave that. He will literally say, no clue what you're talking about. You're just a beautiful human being. (laughs) That's how Jesus, that's how God forgives. And three days later, Jesus rose from the dead and has promised that you will rise too. That's his Christmas gift. Not that you will temporarily be healed. I'm sorry. But that you will be healed forever one day. And that you're forgiven now. And that's so important for the day today. We talk about living in the present and being in the moment. We are robbed of that. We're disabled of that because we're worrying about the past. Someone's got to pay for this party. (laughs) The regrets that we have as human beings. I wish I would have done this differently. I wish I would have said that differently. How did I get in this place that I am now? Or we're worried about the future. Will I be okay? Will I have that job? Will this pandemic ever end? Or in Longfellow's case, will the war ever end? Yes. Jesus' resurrection is a yes. His death is a yes. It will be okay. You will rise again. The pandemic will end. You are forgiven. And I really believe knowing that frees you to live in the moments. You're going to see mom again. God loves you. And we need to hear that sometimes. And we need to break down sometimes. And we need to cry on each other's shoulders sometimes. And we need to have somebody say the same thing that Jesus says to us. It's okay. He is the one. He died and rose. Remember? If that's not a sign that he's the one, that he loves you, that it's going to be okay, then there can't be a better sign. Friends, may you have that sign. He is the one. It is a Merry Christmas. It will be okay. In Jesus' name, amen.